Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. What makes them industry giants? Get ready to take a peek inside and learn their secrets of success. This is Silicon Valley Insider, the show that demystifies the valley and helps to elevate your business to the next level. Now, your host for Silicon Valley Insider, Keith Koo. Welcome to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. Today's show is a follow-up on our Call for Code event in Fremont, California. First up is the Northern California CEO of the American Red Cross, Trevor Regan, and again, Willie Tejada, Chief Developer Advocate of IBM. So in tech news this week, first up is that it was uncovered that 75% of all Texas voters' records have been exposed due to an unsecured database. Now, it's not very clear who owned the server or why the server was in existence, but this New Zealand researcher who hunts down potentially breached systems said that it contained 16 gigabytes of dozens of fields of data, including voters' name, address, gender, race, and years of voting history, including presidential elections and primaries. It was also noted that this breach probably occurred before the 2016 presidential election. Also, the General Data Protection Regulation of the EU, or GDPR, which has been enacted since May, it has there's been a causal relationship that a number of data-related complaints have spiked for privacy issues. And I bring this up because California just enacted an even more stringent regulation, and you can only imagine the, the amount of complaints that will spike when that one comes into effect. Also, there was a breach of 258,000 records due to an insider threat, meaning that it was somebody within the organization. They had left key logging software on systems to track everything that users were doing, including the administrator that had access to all these records. Crypto jacking has overtaken ransomware as the kind of opportunistic monetary hack du jour. And that is when your browser is taken over to mine things like Bitcoin or Ethereum or Litecoin. One of the things that we had talked about in previous shows was trolls, which are people who specifically look to pick a fight. We talked about Facebook trolls or other types of trolls. Well, here's the same terminology, troll, but in the context of it was uncovered that Amazon is hiring trolls to counteract negative feedback about their hiring practices or their working conditions. And so uh, a researcher showed that every time negative complaints were happening around Amazon, that there'd be counteractive positive news instead. And that's the news of the week. So today's been phenomenal so far. We had a kickoff. We had the School 42 Silicon Valley as our facilities host, the mayor of Fremont, Willie May, the fire chief of Fremont, Curtis Jacobson, um, many IBMers, and a list of people that I cannot name all of, but I'm very appreciative of. Uh, But really, today is all about the call for code in addressing natural disasters, disaster relief, and certainly the wildfires that are going on in Northern California. And Trevor, I wanted to turn it over to you. Thanks again for everything the American Red Cross is doing for mobilization. Uh, thank you. I mean, it, the work we do, it's really only because of our partners and volunteers. So we, 
uh, we mobilize you know thousands of volunteers, not just from the Bay Area and from Northern California, but from across the country to respond to something like the wildfires. We had volunteers from Alaska and Maine, Hawaii, and now we're paying that back by sending volunteers to Hawaii to respond to her. Sure. Uh, but and then partners, tremendous partners like IBM and so many others that step up when we need them to to make sure we can respond. And that's really what today's been about, and not just today, but the whole entire call for, call for code initiative is. How do we respond? Can we respond? How can we do incident management better? Can we do recovery faster? Willie, you mentioned this on a show we did uh, recently. How does a partnership between American Red Cross and IBM really serve that type of need? Well, I think when we look at disaster management and the way it's changed and evolved over the last 10, 15 years, it's, it's really more community-led now than ever. And so putting tools in the hands of the users and tools they already know how to use because you don't want to train people in the midst of disaster, right? You want them to jump in and start using those tools. So whether that's a client that we're caring for in a shelter having access to more information or a volunteer running a large logistics operation being able to see all their assets because they have a better tool to track in real time what's going on in the the disaster, uh, those are all game changers. And so this this is truly having partnership with IBM that's really thinking about through these uh, events, thinking about the user that needs that tool. Think about the person that's going to serve and the life it's going to save. Uh, that's a much more effective path, we think, for technology development. The thing I've discovered in working with uh, the American Red Cross is just how immersed they are in these natural disasters from a logistics participation feed on the street, uh, on the ground, um, in uh a couple of things that, that are derived from that from a uh, from an IBM perspective. Number one is, uh, as Trevor just mentioned, a tremendous amount of domain expertise about what needs to happen um, in terms of providing shelter, in terms of routing supplies. Um, and we bring technology and we bring technologists to the picture, but having the subject matter experts that can influence and help design the solution sets, partnership with the Red Cross, that's, that's one thing. That's great. But then the second piece is very rarely do you have a direct connection of then being able to hand that solution to the people who can then apply it real time. Those are the things that make it so exciting for IBM and the American Red Cross to partnership on. So, Willie, let's go into a couple of those use cases, right? Because I think it, it, you know, we're, we're on radio, but how do people visualize that kind of mobilization effort? Yeah, you know, we, we talked a little bit basically this morning. Uh, Chief Jacobson actually gave a couple of use cases um, you know, and he actually gave some great foundational pieces of when we we're talking about wildfires, which is the folks that we actually hear. I think he said something along the lines of like three factors to really think about topographical, weather, wind. You know, these are all things that you should consider. And, you know, everything from how quickly could you communicate to people um, was number one. It's like, hey, a fire's happening. Um, maybe it's it shifted in wind. How can you actually get to the people that will impact the most? Um, he, he spoke about shelters as an example. Um, the other parts is uh, we have technologies that uh, can can have sensors in places we've never thought of before. How can you get early warning systems along these particular areas? So the teams here, the technologists here, are taking all that input from the subject matter experts, their knowledge of technology, and putting together solutions that might better prepare, uh, respond, um, or recover in one of these types of situations. Great. And in terms of the American Red Cross's perspective on the mobilization with technology, what's your perspective, Trevor? I think, you know, when you look at some of the disasters we're facing, you know, hurricanes, you have a little bit of a heads up. 
right? And so right. the tools may be a little different. Wildfires, we were talking about today, for the people that are impacted, it's no notice. And so there's this constant trauma of not knowing if it's going to happen or if they're going to have to leave their home or leave their all their possessions or if they're going to lose their home. And so putting tools out there in people's hands to help our firefighters uh, more accurately gauge the fire and protect homes and lives, uh, that changes service delivery for our clients as well. It takes that, that trauma, the mental health trauma out of there uh, much more quickly. And happily, we have a workforce that's willing and able to use technology. Uh, we also have a lot of opportunities to practice it. So to, uh, unfortunately, you know, there's lots of opportunities to test uh, new tools in every disaster to see what does work. You know, Keith, you, you on the use case, uh, one use case that stood out to me this morning was, on one side it was, how do I notify as many people as possible? Uh, Fast-moving wildfire, they need to mobilize. Uh, one of the firefighters basically said, uh, as much as they need to communicate that, they need to know the people who are going to stay, who said, you know what, I'm not moving, I'm going to stay so that they can have a complete inventory and allow them not to go door-to-door to find right. out. It's just some very, very, it's like a simple type of solution to solve for, but the more we can use technology for something like that, it can aid and, and have huge efficiencies in the way they actually behave and, and treat the system. Willie, I'm glad you mentioned that about, you know, how do you check door-to-door. I, I actually know right now uh, around us through our teams working on that exact question, so it'll be great to see what they come up by the end of the day. So thanks to you, Trevor, and you, Willie, to um, be on Silicon Valley Insider to talk about this really important cause. And I look forward to the rest of the day. You're listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. If you have any questions about Call for Code or the show, email us at info at svn.biz. And we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. Today's show is a wrap of our Call for Code event that we had in Fremont, California. In our first segment, we had the CEO of the American Red Cross for Northern California, Trevor Regan, and he was joined by Willie Tejada, the chief developer advocate from IBM. And they were just talking about the mobilization and the effort around technology in solving for natural disasters and disaster relief. Next up, we have Tim Robinson, who's an actual developer advocate for IBM, talking about how empowering developers and engineers is really what makes something like the call for code and a hackathon worthwhile. So for the question of the week, I had talked about in a previous show about systemic biases, which led to a discussion about how sometimes cars can have Um, an issue with, in essence, blind spots. So if you're an autonomous vehicle, you might not be able to see a stop sign if somebody covers the stop sign up, and you would not know that you're going to blow right through it. It, You wouldn't be intuitive for you. And so the question is, well, how autonomous are cars? And so actually, there is a definition of the different levels of car automation. Uh, At the Black Hat Conference, Charlie Miller and Chris Valasek we're talking about flaws in Chrysler cars at the time. And so they came up with these three levels. Level one of automation for a car is a car that has some driver assistance features, but the driver is still fully responsible for all the vehicle's actions. Level two automation are cars that can control steering and speed, which we see very often in a Tesla and their autopilot feature. 
Level three is where the vehicle controls everything about the vehicle and the driver would legally have no obligation in the sense of um, not being able to identify unknown conditions. And level four is where the researchers were discussing that it's actually the need to secure the vehicle without the need for a driver. And this would be like GM's cruise ride sharing service or Waymo and Uber who are trying to develop something similar. This then leads to a need to secure the car itself. So you think about all the shows we've done around the insecurity of IoT devices and people really not being able to trust fully that each individual device could or could not be hacked. Uh, These are some of the questions that continue to develop or unfold as technology increases, and our show will continue to stay on top of it. Now here's my conversation with Tim Robinson of IBM. So Tim, um, I understand that you've been with Call for Code since inception. Well, yeah, there's been a lot of discussions between our, our organization and David Clark Cause and a lot of planning around this to make sure it's something that's an easily accessible way for developers to learn new technologies and become part of an ecosystem that is helping with the mitigation of the impacts of natural disasters. Yeah, and just as a recap, Call for Code is a global initiative to solve for things like natural disasters, but there's uh, a component on technical teams developing solutions software-based. So your role as a developer advocate is critical to the community for actually participating and submitting ideas. Yeah, and in events like this, where we bring developers together for like a one-day event where we introduce what Call for Code is all about, we get them access to IBM Cloud, and we help them start their projects. And in these sorts of high-energy events, we usually get a lot of ideas that move forward a ways, and then we, and at the end of the day, we do our judging process. We give people insights on what they can use to improve. Then they can go back and continue to work on their ideas before they submit them for the overall Global Call for Code Challenge. Thanks for the description. So you've been here all day. It's really high energy here. We had a ton of visitors. You are so close to the developer community. What's it been like watching the students here at 42 and the public participate in this event? You know, one of the things that really amazes me at any time to come to these events is what the community skills have to bear. I mean, we have some people here that their day jobs are working at NASA. You know, we have some people with great, you know, machine learning and robotics and IoT kind of skills, and to see them take what they know maybe in their day job and applying it to a cause-based initiative is really exciting, and it helps me keep my energy up all day long like this. Yeah, um, just because, just to do a recap, this morning we had the mayor of Fremont, we had the fire chief of Fremont, and the fire people on the line from Fremont actually have been battling some of the wildfires. Um, they gave a lot of description on things that could be helpful the parameters involved, topography, GPS data, things that um, didn't used to be so accessible, but now they're, whether it's Google data or IBM data or data that's just available, the ability to create these solutions quickly is, I think, one of the game-changing things of what we're doing. Yeah, that's something that's an important point because with the tooling and the infrastructure and the, the dependencies that we can handle through a number of services on IBM Cloud, the developers only have to write a small amount of code. Sure. So even though creating a disaster response solution sounds like a major undertaking, the effort involved building on top of a number of very good open source and other kinds of public data sets is not that major. 
Right. And I think uh, that's where we have this concept we've been talking about calling it thin tech. Thin tech is things that can quickly, in essence, disrupt other technologies, but just the ability for these small teams. Uh, one of the companies I used to be at, we used to call them two pizza box teams. And just the ability to ideate, um, create tests in the cloud environment, such as IBM and others, uh, and then roll out. I was um, being interviewed by your folks on camera, and I had mentioned how it's really not so much the ability to develop code, it's the, it's the ability in your jurisdiction to adopt the code, because in some parts of the developed world, there might be some regulations involved before you can actually roll it out. But in the case where you're having earthquakes in Nepal, floods in Kerala, India, uh, the solutions they build on top of a cloud environment could be immediately um, used and helpful. Yeah, we've seen a lot of feedback already, you know, some of the recent crisis uh, situations. People have been calling out, hey, when is this going to be ready for us to use? Um, but the other exciting thing for us is as we look at these projects going through the overall Call for Code Challenge is the opportunity for us to take those top projects and, you know, help them either with a support of the Linux Foundation, get them out to open source governance models, or to work with those development teams and help them deploy them using our corporate service core out in the field. So we're coming close to um, just the end of today, just reminding everybody and those who are listening and are interested in still submitting, you have until September 28th, but in terms of what the IBM team is going to see today, what do you think some of the actions that will come out of this? Yeah, so, so today I think we've got several teams with some ideas uh, in terms of fire prevention that will be very important for us to continue to nurture. And one of the things that we've got in this overall framework with Call for Code is a support infrastructure with access to IBM experts um, online through Slack throughout the process where they're developing their code and getting it ready to submit for the challenge. So I look forward to working with those teams, you know, both today as they finish their projects up, present them, and then as they nurture their ideas and bring them into the submission. I really appreciate the perspective Tim brought to the Call for Code event in empowering engineers and developers. Coming up in our next segment, we have the Chief Digital Officer of IBM, Bob Lord. If you have any questions or comments about Call for Code, the event we had, Silicon Valley Insider and how to be on the show, email us at info at svn.biz, and we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call one 828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders, it's Keith Koo. Welcome back. Today's show is all about the outcomes from our Call for Code event, the only North American Call for Code event in 2018. Joined with me today is Bob Lord, who's the Chief Digital Officer. Welcome, Bob. Thanks, Keith. Thanks for having me here. So this week's cyber tip, do you ever wonder what happens when you've connected your device to a car? Well, that information gets stored in the car potentially forever as long as the car is alive. Uh, What you need to do is actually be very cognizant that whether you buy a car and sell it or whether you're renting a car, if you're ever connecting your smartphone to that car, you need to learn how to wipe that information before you return the car or sell your car. So here's the tip. Delete your Bluetooth pairings, delete stored phone numbers and your call history, remove any CDs, DVDs, and USB keys that you left in the car. For instance, when you plug in your iPhone or your Android device directly into the USB port of your car, 
Delete your built-in garage door openers and their codes. Clear your GPS of all pre-programmed destinations and route history. Clear your Wi-Fi hotspot settings and passwords. Remove any onboard device or electronic device recorders you have added. Cancel OnStar subscriptions and reporting. And that's very common to forget that. Also, cancel or transfer any other satellite radio. If you do all these things, and it's a lot of things, that's the only way you can be sure that you'll be safe when you get rid of your vehicle. And that's the Cyber Tip of the Week. So welcome back. Today I have Bob Lord joining with us, Chief Digital Officer at IBM. We were just talking about Call for Code. In our first segment, we had Willie Tejada and Trevor Regans of American Red Cross talking about how the public got involved, what Call for Code meant for the community. We then had Tim Robinson on from IBM as a developer advocate talking about all the things that IBM is doing on the technical side in order to get developers onboarded into a cause such as this. And now we have the guy who started it all. So welcome again, Bob. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Keith. Really excited to be here. So, Bob, how did Call for Code actually start with an IBM? You know, um, when I came to the company, um, what I realized was the problems that IBM was solving, whether in the financial in financial industries, whether healthcare industry or in the government space, they were really hard, complex problems to solve. Um, and you really understood the assets that IBM had and the power that those assets were. And you, we weren't unleashing them so that anyone could access them easily. So we spent the first year and a half giving people access to our code so that they could get a Watson API within a minute. And they could fork it over to GitHub and they could play with it and they could understand the power of it and then apply it and have impact in the world. And when we started to understand the power of giving our assets out, we wanted to come up with an initiative that was tied around how you could use tech for good. Um, and we partnered with uh, the American Red Cross um, and the um, Lennox Foundation. Um, and we started to talk about what would be a great initiative to go after. Um, and we conceived of an idea called Call for Code, uh, which is a $30 million investment over five years that IBM's making. It's a global initiative. Um, and this year is focused on using our tech for good, specifically focused on the disaster relief how do you prevent and how do you mitigate the disaster, the, sort of the pain of a, of a, of a natural disaster? Sure. We all know you can't prevent a natural disaster, but we believe and we have seen recently that you can prepare for them better. During the event, you can actually use technology in a way to help yourself. And then aftermath, and you can use technologies in ways you've never been able to do before. And basically what we've done is we've given the 22 million developers around the world access to our code to help come together to solve some of these societal issues that are out there today. Yeah, thanks for that. I've worked with IBM for over 20 years and always been a rock-solid company, but perceived to be a little bit slow, stodgy, or a little bit closed off. But now that they have direct access to the code, I think that is something that's truly transformative. When we put together the Call for Code event in Fremont, California, Really, it was just very interesting because wildfires have been devastating our state. And with the opportunity, just the timing of the Call for Code initiative going on right now, yeah. uh, we all decided, hey, we've got a great facility in 42, this tuition-free yeah. coding academy. Um, 
the city who we had the mayor of Fremont, Lillie May, as well as uh, Chief Curtis Jacobson, the fire chief of Fremont, who had his battalion commanders who actually fought the wildfires itself and lent, mm-hmm. lent support. The ability to get the community mobilized with the IBMers in two and a half weeks mm-hmm. to put on this event was phenomenal. I think that speaks to the ability to get direct access to the code. Yeah, well, look, I think the ability of all the assets now we have that are digitally enabled um, and the ease of use and the accessibility allows us to pop up these hackathons that have a very focused, targeted campaign. Only two weeks ago, we were in Puerto Rico, right. and we actually popped up a hackathon for the weekend that was focused about ha- what happens during a hurricane and what do you do. And the ideas that came out of that were pretty profound to help emergency response people get ready. I mean, the Caribbean hasn't even gotten through a cycle of cleanup. And they're pending the hurricane season coming in September for them. So now to figure out how I can use technology to help enable people to get through that cycle. So that idea sort of spurred, well, what else is happening in the world? And in North America, we know there's a big wildfire problem here in California. And that's why the next place we went was to Fremont. We're now actually thinking we're going to go to Osaka and do something for the flooding challenges that are in Osaka right now. So all of this idea around call for code, they can be locally targeted and, and actually ladder up to the bigger program that's going to end at the end of September with an award coming in October. But this idea of these unsung heroes, these developers, the data scientists, the data architects, right? They have been revolutionizing big business. They have disrupted industry markets. And people really don't know who they are. Right. So this program is all about elevating and the profile of the developer and what technology can do at scale. There are great programs that happen locally, whether it's with the United Nations, whether it's with the American Red Cross, but they're not scaling at the level they need to do, right? What, how we solve a problem in Fremont maybe could be used in Puerto Rico or maybe can be sure. used in Osaka. It's transferable, but the connection points are not there. And I believe uh, IBM is the founding member of this. We can help to create those connection points around the world and solve some really hairy global societal issues around this. But to your point, we needed to give accessibility to our code, right? Because if we didn't give accessibility to our code, no one could really figure out what is the impact they're going to have on the world. Right. And that kind of goes back to, to my understanding, you're the first chief digital officer in about 106 or 107 yeah, years. Yeah, 107 years, yes. First yeah. one, yes. And you're a direct to Ginny Rometty. Correct, yes. Who is the IBM CEO. So how do we marry that? I mean, that, that was kind of, we talked a lot about the developer advocacy and what you're enabling. How does Ginny and team decide that that's what they need? Yeah, so look, I, I think when you think about how IT is consumed now, right, it's no longer the CIO's only decision. He's, that person is not the only decision maker. Um, developers, we know developers influence 95% of IT buying decisions, right? right. And if we don't win the hearts and minds um, and developers don't have an understanding of what IBM code can do and the power of what our blockchain can do or the power of what our IoT solutions can do and the power of the weather company data, they're, they're going to not necessarily embrace our solutions like they would do some of our other competitors. So part of the program is to educate people around the power that Watson services can bring um, from an AI standpoint, from a machine learning standpoint, and what our data assets can do to solve real societal issues. Hopefully, then, they're going to get used to the, what the power of IBM tools are, and they're going to bring them into their business, or they're going to start uh, their startup with it, or they're going to bring it back into their enterprise um, and use the tools later on. So I think within Ginny and the, and, the, and the team, 
the recognition of the power of the decision making that and the and the basically the influence that the developer and the data science and the data architect have in the world right now it's important that we we educate that community around that and call for code is a program i think is just a fun way um, and a way, I think, again, to recognize these heroes that have been out there that are under the radar. Right. We don't talk about the person who developed the Uber platform. We talk about the business of Uber. Yes. But the person who created that technology platform is the unsung hero. Yes. Right? I mean, you can go technology company by technology company. Whether or not we, the, the technologists that helped us build the cybersecurity system for XYZ government that's the unsung hero. We don't talk about that person. This program is to elevate those people and bring them through. And we've actually had Hollywood even answer the call. We've had um, probably, I think it's about 45 um, Hollywood musicians and actresses and actors answer the call with us. They have been talking about what Call for Code is. They're passionate about really helping people um, in these challenging situations there are, and they're helping to amplify the call for code. And, and our ambition here is to get as many people to participate um, in either the idea of what we need to develop or the development of the idea. Yeah, no, I, I've been following it very closely. I saw the celebrities, Pierce Brosnan for one, and Scott McCurry, who's American Idol, yeah. that my, my kids adore. So, yeah, I mean, we've definitely been Justin following. Bieber. Justin Bieber. We even had Justin Bieber, <laughs> Ellen DeGeneres. I mean, we had lots of folks sort of jump on the bandwagon here, which I think is pretty phenomenal. And that's what I want to uh, touch on is that, because you mentioned it earlier, Call for Code is actually, in total, at least a five-year program. Yes. And so, although we this year was about natural disasters, disaster yeah. recovery, do you have an idea of what would be in 2019 and beyond? Yeah, so look, I, you know, look, the, the timing of the disaster relief idea, given that 2017 was probably one of the worst yes. disaster relief uh, years that we've ever had before, um, there may be a resurgence of that. It may take a, 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 a little turn towards healthcare um, and helping people in their healthcare situation that they're in. So we're sort of exploring that sure. with the with the UN and the American Red Cross and the Lennox Foundation. Um, but right now we're pretty focused on getting through this one um, and getting through the disaster relief programs. Um, and I also think it depends on who our sponsors are. So. We've had um, a lot of enterprise clients now lean in, like Johnson & Johnson, um, uh, CVS Pharmacy, uh, Burdesco, which is a very big bank down in Brazil, um, Citibank, um, and others. So it depends on to, who, who's participating that actually may influence where we go next year. Okay. Well, with that, Bob, thanks again for your time. Thanks for being here. Definitely want you back on the show and don't go away we're going to have actually the winning team from the Fremont event fantastic their name is the Menlo Muppets yes so if you have any questions or comments about Call for Code or anything else you've heard on the show email us at info at svin.biz and I'll be right back for questions or comments on today's program call 1-888-828-7846 that's 888-828-SVIN now back to Silicon Valley Insider once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. Today's show has been a wrap from the first North American Call for Code event. When we originally talked about it, we said it was going to be the only North American Call for Code event, but it, what's been really awesome is that there's now more pop-up hackathons. Earlier in the show, we had Trevor Regan, Northern California CEO of the American Red Cross, Willie Tejada, Chief Developer Advocate, and Bob Lord, Chief 
digital officer of IBM, all talking about the Call for Code initiative, the importance to engineers. So join with me in the studio today are both the first runner-up wildfire detection, as well as the winner of this past weekend's hackathon, Menlo Muppets. So I'm going to be talking to wildfire detection first. They're students from 42, the coding academy I had on a couple weeks back, and now they're part of the incubator. Welcome, Obsa and Nassim. Hello. Hello, everybody. So why don't we talk about what your concept was and why the judges liked it so much? The big part about uh, the challenge that we saw was they did not have a good way to actually source the information from this rural area where there is no data connection. And they had watchtowers, physical human beings actually watching over these areas. So we decided, oh, the, the Sigbox network and the IoT device uh, that we work with is perfect for the solution by giving them a stream of data in real time as either fires are happening or any weather event that is happening in these rural sections. You can't warn communities of an fi impending fire or any storm or anything without having real-time data from these sectors, and you have people die because of this, so. Yeah, and Nassim? Uh, yeah, that's exactly the point. Like using the Sigfox technology, it's really easy to cover with network, and that's a really cheap uh, device to make, and that's how it's, so it can be really scalable and helpful because it's real-time information. So. Right. And, and what's great is you didn't really have that much time beforehand to prep. You just basically got on site. We did a hackathon. You got the instructions, the problem statement. And you came up with this idea in you know basically less than six hours. That's right. And we thought about it for about a week prior to this, but uh, definitely we were thinking about how to use these IoT devices uh, correctly and integrate it into IBM's infrastructure and also get the uh, weather signatures and the other sensors to work on the IoT device. Right. And so the outcome is the local prize as the first runner-up, you won uh, uh, some advisory sessions from Tech Futures, but also you will then be submitting by the end of September your actual idea, correct? That's correct. Yeah. That's really correct. And like, that's really short time to prepare the project because compared to those other candidates, we have only one month. So it will be a rush and like, I think we'll do it. All right. Well, Obsa and Asim from 42 Wildfire Detection, congratulations. And I look forward to actually seeing your final submission. Our pleasure. My real pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. So our next team are called the Menlo Muppets. And they're actually international students from Singapore. And they had a product called EvaChain, and they were this weekend's actual winners from the Call for Code. Welcome, Cherry. Welcome, Wei Hao. Thanks for being here. It's yeah. nice to be here. Nice Hello. to meet you. Yeah. Hi. Hi, Keith. Nice to meet you. So tell me about what EvaChain is all about. So EvaChain is basically an application uh, that is used by two groups of people, civilians and firemen. And uh, it's meant to be an application to streamline the evacuation process. Yep. So there are three main features. Firstly, civilians get to verify their safety to show the firemen that they are safe and they have evacuated so that the firemen will need to approach their houses and waste time checking in on them if they have already evacuated. Secondly, we get to we plan routes for them to go to the appropriate shelters. And lastly, we get volunteers on board this program and, and these volunteers will help to verify for the safety of those households that have uh, difficulties evacuating. Yeah, that's really cool. So your solution verifies people are safe, has route planning for evacuation, and gives you the ability to let people know whether you're safe or to volunteer. Yes. 
And that's why when we had the uh, fire department of the city of Fremont as actual judges, uh, they could really relate to the solution. So congratulations again. Thank you. So then having been participants in this call for code, which uh, we, you probably had very little planning to do. Mm-hmm. What was it like to be in the middle of that on Saturday? Oh, uh, so I'll take that. Uh, so actually it's pretty exciting because uh, as we are international students, so we didn't really understand the wildfire problem at the time. But then when we came down, uh, we were we were we were like determined to find out what are the what are the problems that people face, and the person that we mainly talked to was the fire chief. Right. Yeah. So so it was like the on my previous segment we had IBM's chief digital officer Bob Lordon, who's you know one of the top executives at IBM. He owns the whole call for code program, but he also owns the whole developer advocacy program, which is all about enabling people like you, the actual engineers. Mm -hmm. And so what you're actually describing is that with little time, but with a good ability to access the code, good instructions, uh, very small and nimble teams can think about a problem very quickly, come up with some prototyping, and then work on that code. So the last thing I wanted to ask you with is the final submission is by the end of September. Are you planning to do the final submission? Uh, yes, we are planning to do a final submission, and uh, every night we are having like st- like meetings and uh, planning out what we need to do over the past over the next few weeks. And yeah, definitely we are very excited to complete. All right, well, Cherry and Wei Hao from Menlo Muppets, congratulations again, and I look forward to hearing the outcome of your submission. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, thank you, thank you, Keith. And that's a wrap for Call for Code 2018 North America from the city of Fremont. Thanks again to 42, IBM, Tulip Industries, and of course, Silicon Valley Insider, our show, for doing all of the coordination and logistics. It was just a very rewarding experience. If you're interested in doing a project similar to what we did with Call for Code, community involvement, and all the things that go involved with that, please email us at info at svn.biz, and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. For questions or comments on today's program or to schedule a complimentary consultation with Keith about your business, call 1-888-828-SVIN. That's 1-888-828-7846, 888-828-SVIN. 